0: Do you sometimes look at a microbiology report and wonder if the microbiologist made up the tongue twister of a microbe name you're reading on the report? Arthrobacter chlorophenolicus or microbacterium hydrocarbonoxidans. I know, you think it sounds like someone has vomited a bunch of alphabets, but some of them actually sound quite cute. Take for example, cutie bacterium, acnes, or how about roseomonas species? There is one question that all microbiologists are familiar with. The phone call with a slightly frantic sounding clinician on the other end of the line, wanting to know what on earth the organism cultured is, and if there's any chance that it might just be a contaminant, never fear, your friendly friendly microbiologist is near. Yes, today we're going to try and demystify the ever-pervasive culture contaminants. My guest today is Dr. Yogendri Ramsami, Yogen is a medical microbiologist with the National Laboratory Health Services, and she is based at the Prince Mshieni Hospital in Itekwini, South Africa. Hello, Yogen. Thanks for joining me on Microbe Mail. Hi, Vin. Such a pleasure to be on this podcast, and thanks for
1: inviting me to shed some light to some of the culture reports that bug us immensely.
0: Before we start to unpack these tongue-twisting contaminants, remember to sign up for updates at www.microbemail.captivate.fm or follow us on YouTube or Instagram. All of the links to our sites are available in the show notes. As always, if you know someone who might enjoy Microbe Mail, please go ahead and share. You will find Microbe Mail wherever you listen to podcasts or directly on our website. Okay, let's dig in. Again, let's first try to set the scene. Microbiology reports often include comments which refer to terms such as commensals, con- contaminants, and even colonizers. What are these and how do they differ?
1: Okay, so when as far as commensals are concerned, um, commensals are found in areas of the body, such as the skin, the mouth, and the gastrointestinal tract, and examples on the skin. Refer to those such as Staphylococcus epidermidis. Contaminants, on the other hand, are organisms that get into a specimen. Sometimes these are commensals and sometimes they are from the environment. And another example of that is also Staph epidermidis from the skin itself. Colonizers refer to microorganisms, including the pathogenic ones that are present at a body site. For example, on the skin, the mouth, the intestines, or the airway. These microorganisms are really doing no harm and are not causing any symptoms of infection. The person colonized is also called a carrier. For example, the skin is normally colonized by coagulase negative staphylococci and can also be colonized by pathogenic staphylococcus aureus. Colonization occurs in some 30% of the population with regard to this, and whilst the microorganisms cause no harm if they remain on intact skin, if they transfer to another site, perhaps in an open area such as
0: a wound or another person, it can cause an infection. Okay, so you're saying that a commensal is something that we all normally carry around with us, whereas a contaminant is something picked up at some point during specimen collection or processing?
1: Yes. Yes. And a colonizer may sometimes be pathogen- a pathogenic organism. But treatment should not be purely based on whether or not you've cultured an organism or something pathogenic. We need to look at other features as well, such as the microscopy, clinical signs and symptoms, radiological findings, and other laboratory parameters. And ever so often, we need to lean on to chatting to an ID. ID physician or a microbiologist if we unsure to seek some
0: advice. Okay so knowing this what types of clinical specimens might we actually culture contaminants from? So any
1: specimen can become contaminated if the collection process, storage, transport and even the processing is not optimal.
0: Okay, so sh- perhaps for the purpose of this episode, let's tackle common specimen types and what might represent a contaminant in these particular specimens. So shall we start out with the most commonly collected specimen and that would be urine. So can you talk us through what might be a commensal, a contaminant and a colonizer of a urine specimen? Okay, so so Vin, let's unpack this. With regards to the commensals, The bladder is essentially
1: a sterile environment. So commensals would only be skin commensals or commensals from the distal urethra or genital tract, depending on the route of collection,
0: either midstream urine or a suprapubic collection. So what are common commensal organisms that you would pick up from a urine culture? So UTI is frequently caused by organisms, which are
1: normal commensals in the distal urethra and adjacent sites. Uropathogens are part of the normal fecal flora, and your typical pathogens include E. coli, Klebsiella species, and Enterococcus species. Especially in the case of females, these bacteria colonize the perianal region and then ascend to the interoitus vaginae, which is a reservoir for several uropathogens. Contaminants, on the other hand, refer to organisms such as lactobacilli, corinibacterium species, Gardnerella, alpha-hemolytic streptococci, and aerobes are considered urethral and vaginal contaminants. It's tricky when it comes to colonizers and colonization, which generally occurs with isolation of bacteria where there's insignificant pyuria. This is defined by our laboratory parameters. In our lab, This is defined as less than 10,000 cells per microliter. And in this instance, microscopy results are in fact crucial for interpretation of these results. These can be pathogenic organisms, but owing to the low number of white cells, they are unlikely to be causing infections. However, exceptions do include patients who are pregnant and patients who are immediate post-transplant. If in doubt, send a repeat specimen
0: or discuss it with your microbiologist. Thanks for going through that. I think it was quite clear and very useful information that you've provided. Another very common specimen type collected is the respiratory sample. So sometimes these are sputum samples and other times in hospitalized patients who are ventilated, these might be tracheal aspirates. So here, what would be regarded as a commensal or contaminant or a colonizer for these specimen types.
1: So commensal organisms in the upper respiratory tract one include Neisseria species, diphtheroids, alpha hemolytic streptococci, and some staphylococcus species. These may be picked up along with the sample during sample collection. Contaminants refer to oral flora, including streptococcus viridans. And colonizers, here again, maybe pathogens, but with insignificant inflammation to suggest that they are causing an infection. Again, microscopy is really important in understanding if these are colonizers or not. Commonly used is the Bartlett scoring system. The Bartlett score measures the quality of sputum specimens for microbiology testing. The score is derived from a microscopic exam of sputum specimens that looks at a combination of the number of neutrophils, the presence of mucous strands, and the number of squamous epithelial cells per low power field. Segmented neutrophils and mucous strands may be indicative of inflammation. Thus, a high quality sputum sample, Um, high numbers of epithelial cells are not indicative of inflammation and may indicate contamination with saliva. A score of one, two, or three indicates active inflammation. A score of zero or less indicates a lack of inflammation or contamination with saliva. But ultimately, one must remember that the diagnosis, especially in the case of VAP, it's particularly based on other concomitant evidence, which is your radiological evidence of infection, clinical judgment, combined with correct interpretation of the microbiological
0: evidence on hand. So our last specimen type that we'll discuss with regards to contamination commensals and colonizers is the blood culture. What would help me decide as a clinician if this isolate is a contaminant? And also, I think one of the important things considering that it's a sterile site sample do the terms commensal and colonizer actually apply in this setting? So
1: one needs to look at various factors, banana. These include the number of blood culture bottles that have been submitted for analysis, the number that have flagged positive, the time to positivity, and there's also a national healthcare safety network commensal list that's available. And it essentially is a list of organisms typically regarded to be commensals. Your microbiologist should be familiar with the list and let you know if it is a commensal. So patients who are in the ICU in a high-care setting, patients who are oncology patients or recent history of transplant, or patients who have prosthetic valves and prosthetic devices, it's a little trickier to assume that coagulase negative staphylococci are contaminants. Because prosthetic material and central venous catheter lines form biofilms and your coagulase negative staphylococci are essentially the organisms that are responsible for biofilm formation. So equally so, in hospitalized preterm neonates with an underdeveloped immune system and skin integrity, coagulase negative staphylococci may be significant. It's suggested that two or more cultures with the same coagulase negative staphylococcus taken two days apart is more
0: likely to be significant in these babies and in those patients. Based on everything that you just said now, maybe let's look at a quick case um, for our listeners to understand uh, when a microbiologist might suggest that something is a a contaminant. So, Say for example, we've got a 57-year-old male who came through to casualty with severe hypertension and for some reason, a set of blood culture bottles was collected as well. Although when you speak to the clinician, there doesn't seem to be any signs and symptoms of sepsis. Um, However, after about three days, one of the two bottles flags positive. So a time to positivity of about 72 hours and the organism cultured is a gram-negative bacillus, which turns out to be a sphingomonas species. How might a microbiologist interpret this culture? Okay, so when
1: in this scenario, I mean, you know, we've got to take a couple of things into consideration. One is that two bottles were submitted. Um, The other fact is that your time to positivity now, essentially, although there's no definite cutoff, we generally would, would, would say something that is greater than around 48 hours may be Less significant, however, bear in mind that there are certain fungi that actually take longer to grow and flag positive. But the time to positivity here is generally longer for a gram negative. And based on the clinical scenario that you're giving me of this patient, there's really no nothing to suggest either from the form that has been submitted or from what you've discussed with the clinician that this patient now has got clinical signs and symptoms that are suggestive of him having bacteremia at this point in time or a septic at this point in time. So a sphingomonas is not a common gram negative. It's essentially viewed as a contaminant in more, more often than not. So taking all of this into consideration, this now would be viewed as a contaminant. So,
0: my last question again is this. If I notice that a specimen cultured is a contaminant, must I always submit a repeat specimen to prove that it was a contaminant?
1: Okay, so specimen collection should not be on the basis of proving that a specimen was a contaminant. Patients in whom repeat testing may be required are those where you're unsure of the significance of the pathogen that has been isolated. So such patients include patients who are in ICU or patients who are undergoing um, um, transplant or patients who are um, receiving oncological treatment or post-transplant where you feel that the clinical picture is still suggestive of an infective process despite having cultured um, a a query contaminant or a commensal.
0: Okay, thanks. Because in fact, it's quite resource um, intense to be submitting repeat samples for the laboratory to process just to prove that something is a contaminant and really goes against the principles of diagnostic stewardship. Yes, I, I, I agree with. Okay, before we ask you again for her take home message, we're going to switch over to our spotlight feature. And our spotlight feature for this episode is a mini microbe message. Take a listen. My name is Mittel. I'm from South Africa. I'm nine years old. Scientists working on the International Space Station have discovered three completely new species of bacteria on the ISS. These bacteria could be beneficial for growing food crops in the harsh environment of space.
1: Look up, Mars. Here we come. Oh my word, that is absolutely adorable. A budding microbiologist in the making.
0: (laughs) That is really cute. (laughs) So back to you again. Can you give us maybe a quick and dirty trick to avoid contaminants in specimens? And I have to say, excuse the oxymoron. Okay. To minimize contamination, we
1: need to use strict antiseptic techniques when collecting specimens. We need to bear in mind that We need to collect specimens from anatomical sites most likely to yield pathogens and least likely to yield contaminants. Tissue or fluid submitted for culture is always superior to materials on swabs. Submit adequate volumes of specimens and transport and store samples optimally to avoid contamination. So obtaining accurate and cost-effective microbiological test results is possible only when specimens are collected, transported, and stored properly. When proper procedures are followed, cultures of specimens are less likely to be contaminated and more likely to yield pathogens. Not only does this make interpretation of the test easier, but it reduces unnecessary work and reduces healthcare costs. Proper collection includes submitting appropriate number of specimens. It's increasingly evident that from most specimens, submission of more than the recommended number of specimens does not improve the physician's ability to interpret test results. And finally, always remember that there's a friendly microbiologist on the other end of that result who is happy to assist and advise further.
0: That's a very useful set of tips and tricks. Jürgen, thank you so much for joining me on today's episode. We really hope you'll be able to join us again soon on Microbe Mail.
1: Then thanks so much for for having me on this podcast and I really enjoyed it. And to the listeners out there, watch out for many more interesting facts on Microbe Mail.
0: If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love to get your feedback. So send us an email or let us know on social media or YouTube. Also, if you'd like to be a guest on the show, suggest a topic, or even suggest another guest, send us an email at mail.microbe at gmail.com. That's it from me, Finn, your microbe messenger. See you again soon with more Contagious Mail.